On Easter, I'm very short-winded. And, and it's, very, it's very uncommon for me. If you're here on, on normal Sundays, I preach a long time. You know that. But today's just a little different, a little lighthearted. And uh, we finished up last week about he was wounded. Isaiah 53, he was wounded. How was he wounded? Medical science says that there's five categories for wounds. Five. So for you to just say he was wounded, I'm going to say to you, in what degree, in what stage? The first one was contusion, bruised, hidden hurts. Jesus will experience all five for us, all five. And while I name these off, either you can say amen or oh me, or I'm there, pastor. You can say, or you can just sit there and take it. But he will experience all five for you and I. Number one, we talked about contusions, bruises. He was bruised, hidden hurts. Nobody ever knows what you've been through this week because you wear long sleeves and long pants. But somebody's beat you up bad. No blood is running like a battered radiator, but the blood vessels inside beneath your skin has been hurt, broken. The second one was laceration, the scourge. Man, this is where chunks come out. This is where bits and pieces, somebody has taken bits and pieces of your life out. Forget about the cat and nine tails or the 12 throngs, of course, a tongue can do just as much damage. Not caring where the, the blows land. They, but the scourging was designed to kill you. But God kept him alive because he had to go to the cross. The third one, what we refer to as, as penetration, which was the crown of thorns. What is a, the poison that's affected your minds? And we said this for the last three weeks, but we said this, that the crown of thorns, uh, that with the thorns, that thorns and thistles, one is painful, one is poisonous, but now then it is a, embedded into his thought process. And we gave you the examples of why he even questioned some things. And it's amazing that while we go through things, God will never remove thorns from your life, from your thoughts. You'll come here and you'll travel and you, you try to find someone to, to extract these horrible thoughts that are going on into your mind. And God said, don't touch them. Jesus never had the crown of thorns removed while he was physically alive. There are some things in your life that you're just going to have to endure. That's the way it is. The fourth one is called what we refer to as perforation. It was the three nails. It was the things that kept him to the cross. Two weeks ago, we talked about if he could, would he come down? He struggled. He questioned. He even thirsted. But it was the nails that kept him from going anywhere. And in about two weeks, that this will not scare you, but I will deal with predestination, propitiation, and sanctification. These three nails are the very thing that will hold us secure to the cause of Christ. Once you know these things. And I can't go anywhere. And, and Jesus said, even if I wanted to, I cannot go anywhere because the nails have me attached to the assignment that God has. It's amazing. There's things that God has assigned for us, but we can't get away from. Yes. And last week we talked about the last one. It's called incise or incision. It's the spear. The spear never killed him. Only the spear did was reveal blood and water. And we went through a long process last week about blood and water. Once for atonement, once for sanctification. Not only am I am saved, but I'm so glad I feel like I'm saved. You don't have to tell me I'm saved. I don't have to go through a course to you to tell me I'm saved. I know what it's like to be demon possessed and God changed my life in 1980. You don't have to tell me to be quiet. I'm not going to be quiet. 
He has forgiven me of my sin. He has washed me of all my iniquities. He has set a crown of righteousness upon my head. I'm saved, brother, inside and out. Jesus that day experienced death. So we kind of we kind of get started. I mean, so when you talk about death, nobody wants to talk about that. Matter of fact, we don't want to talk about death in church. We don't. Isn't it funny that life insurance, they don't call it life insurance, death insurance, they call it life insurance. Why is that? It's not insurance while you're alive, it's insurance when you die. So why don't we just say death insurance? Well, that spooks everybody. So the idea this morning we're going to talk about is death. So if you came to hear about the the risen Savior, you'll have time to catch the 11 o'clock service somewhere else. Death. What are you so afraid of? What are you so afraid of? What's the worst thing that can happen to you? Die to go to heaven. Pretty good deal. I mean, that's, it's a win-win. Mike and I talked about this the other day about Robin. It's a win-win deal. Boy, I loved her. I miss her. Her and I, even though she was in California, that's a weird place out there, but I loved her. Boy, it, I mean, most of the services was for me and Robin. But how do we really know what the Bible says about the afterlife on a biblical standpoint? And this is what I'll say to you today, that, that there are people making millions of dollars off the unknown and the invisible. They're making millions off the unknown and the invisible. Well, I'm not, not going to deal with the unknown or the invisible. I want to talk to you about facts. I'm going to talk to you this morning about what the Bible says. I don't care what somebody had a dream or a vision. I could care less about that. It was probably gas, not God. I had a dream, you know. I had a dream, and I was on the Shetland Pony, and the Shetland, you know, I don't care anything about that. I want to know what the Bible says, because that, I am a man, and we are people of God that we live, and we stand upon the principles of what the Bible says. And the Bible has some things to say about the afterlife. So without going, without contradicting what I told you, I'd like to go off a path, but I'm not going to. This is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2. This is what the Apostle Paul said. Now, if you have a message Bible, he starts out because there were so many superficial goofballs in this period of time. Everybody was speaking in tongues. Everybody had dreams. Everybody had visions. They had it all going on. And matter of fact, don't turn there. That's a joke here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I would love to talk to you as spiritual, but I cannot. I have to talk to you like babies, monosyllables, dad, dad, mama. You're nepiosis. You're, you're babies. You got tongues, interpretations, and prophetic utterances. You got divine. You got all this stuff going to church. But when it comes right down to it, you're nothing but a bunch of nepiosis, crybabies. And so by the time you get to the end of, you know, he writes this long letter. Second Corinthians is, is the long letter. And by the time he gets to it, this is what he says in the message. He said, okay, I didn't want to you to do this, but you made me. Since you brought it up, here we go. AJ was talking about Wednesday night, people that deal with counterfeit bills. They don't look at counterfeit bills. They look at the real bills and, and they study the real bills so much that they detect counterfeit because they know what the real bill is. I'm not here to talk about counterfeit gospels. I'm here to expose to you the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you hear something else, then your ear will not pick it up correctly. 
So here, here Paul is. So since you brought it up and he said, you forced me to do this. Here we go. He said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, talking about himself. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or out of the body, I cannot tell. But God knows. And this one, which is me, was caught up into the third heaven. So he's, you know, it's kind of like uh, people come to my office. Not that you would. But uh, you come to my office and I said, what can I do for you? And you'd say, um, I have a friend that's having trouble at home. Oh. Well, what seems to be the problem with your friend? Well, he's a cat lover. And I go, oh my goodness. Well, what happens is sometimes that, that we speak when we don't want to come right out and say it. And he didn't want to come right out and say it because of different reasons. But he is saying that I knew a man, but he's speaking of himself. He's speaking of himself. So I met a man 14 years ago talking about on the, on the road to Damascus, whether I was in a certain place. All I know, I was standing in the presence of God himself. Shekinah glory is the Hebrew, Old Testament Hebrew word. And he saw Jesus. And he said, he took me to the third heaven. So, so what happens is that this is very important. The apostle Paul got to go to the third heaven. So let's back up just a little bit and I'm going to show you. This is found in Acts 14 and 19. So did he have a vision or a dream? Say no. He did not. And you're going to say, well, that's weird. How in the world did he get to the third heaven if he didn't have a dream or vision? I'm so glad you ask. Acts 14, he begins or founds a church in Iconium. And there in Iconium, they have a mixture of good Gentiles that love God and some old southern Hebrew Jews that are still staunch in their old pernicious doctrinal ways. And now then, when he begins to start this church, the Jews start stirring up stink. And they begin to talk about the Gentiles. And he said, he's blaspheming. He's doing these things. And even though the church is growing, but he's breaking the commandments and he broke that commandment. And so now then there came thither or here certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people having stoned Paul. They drew him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So here's the English translation. He's got a church going. The church is doing good. And now then you got some old people in the church that don't like what's going on. They don't want to hear about Christ. They don't want to hear about the resurrection. They're still hung on into the Old Testament commandments and the Old Testament ways. And so they persuaded some people, said, let's just kill him and get him out of the way. If we can kill him, then I'll appoint you to be the new pastor. And so they stoned him and supposing that he was dead. So when you read this in the English, you get the idea that they think he's dead like he's playing possum. If you don't know what playing possum is, that means he's, he's playing possum. And, uh, and you think he's dead. So my cousin Rusty one time, well, you don't want to know that, but we were about 13 and we were, lived in the country right beside one another. Well, my dad did something to a possum, hit him with a golf club or something. I don't know. And my cousin Rusty said, he's dead. Well, he found out he wasn't dead. My cousin Rusty went to pick him up and he found out that possum was just playing possum. Paul was not playing possum. The word supposing is a Greek word called nomizo. It's a medical term. It means fact or law. The man that was traveling with the apostle Paul was Luke. He was a doctor. So when they stone him, 
And a rock hit him right between the eyes. He's laying out and blood's running everywhere. And when it says, and they stoned him and supposing that he was dead, the only person that made that, that declaration was the doctor. We have doctors here. We have nurses here. And, and before anybody expires, that doctor or that nurse is the one that pronounces the vitals or either he's alive or he's dead. So now Luke, standing over the Apostle Paul, his comrade in the faith, and when the stone hit him and the blood ran, Paul got real still. And Luke bent down over him as a medical doctor and took his vitals, put his ear on his chest, and he said, he's dead. Not guessing. He's dead. At this moment, all church scholars will tell you at this moment is where he is taken to the third heavens. He's caught up. And Millie, you that believe in the rapture bus, which I don't, but it's okay. We're not going to split hairs on this. So, well, there's caught up. Well, yeah, it says another time when Jesus was taken up or caught up is the Greek word harpazo. Both of them were already dead. They were gone. They were dead. So now then, by supposing or they stoning him, there's a period of time, and we don't know how long that time was, that the Apostle Paul was killed. And it even says the disciples were standing around and they prayed. They didn't say they prayed for him. They prayed. I don't know what they prayed for, but we don't have any information they laid hands on him. They were just praying like, what are we going to do now? Because if they killed him, we're next. So in this period of time, he... God takes him to the third heaven. And matter of fact, the apostle Paul says, I got to see some things that, that no man has ever seen. The importance about this to me is the fact that the good news is that when we die, we're going somewhere. We're not guessing here. We're not soul sleeping. We're not, we're not stuck somewhere between one point and another. The Apostle Paul said, I don't really want you to be ignorant concerning these spiritual things about the resurrection, but to be absent from this body is to be immediately present with the Lord. So we have a good information and a solid biblical background that the Apostle Paul received a stone to the head he was immediately killed by this rock. It could be the size of a bowling ball. When you get the word stone, get, get, a, get a, a ping pong ball out of your mind. Get, get, a, get a grapefruit or a bowling ball into your thought process. And immediately that his life left here on earth, but the Bible tells us immediately that he went to be with God. And, and in that third heaven, he saw some things. Now, I'll tell you what's remarkable before we go any further, that he saw some things. He said, I saw some things that I couldn't repeat. I couldn't, I couldn't come back to life and tell you. So what he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 12. But what's remarkable about this, that when life came back to him, it says in the next verse, immediately he went back to the same city where they killed him. Now, I'm not like you. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not as spiritual as you are. But if I go to a place and I witness to someone and someone hits me in the head with a club and I die 
or I get knocked out. And they say, if you come back in here, we're going to split your head open. If I do wake up, I'm probably not going to rush right back into that same place of business. I know you would. Because I can see your wings from here. Can you imagine? They bust his head wide open. No telling what he went through until he actually took his last breath. But when he came back to life, he went right back into the same city. You know what that tells me? He must have saw something. He must have saw something. He must have saw something as he said, I saw something I can't even repeat. I can't even talk to you about. But I'll tell you, it was so wonderful. And it says in Revelations 10 and 4, there's some seals that's got to be shut up and never talked about. John said, there's some, some things that we're going to close the book and not talk about them. But whatever he saw was so wonderful that he went right back to the same city preaching. It's amazing. So the good news about this all is that the Apostle Paul, when he died, he went immediately to the third heaven and he saw something. And it was so powerful that when God restored life to him because he was appointed to go to Rome, then he went back to the same city. When I was about five, we, I was born in Odessa, Texas. My father was in the oil field business and he was a salesman. My father always wore khakis and an iron shirt, always. My father was 35 when I was born. I've never seen him running around in a pair of underwear. My father was, was, was a very modest man, a big tall man. My father had great manners, he had integrity. He lived by a different code than most men do. He, he drove a tank in Patton's army, Morocco, France, Germany. Amazing. So he, lived, he, he, he was a very tall, quiet man. He, some people didn't like him. It didn't, didn't bother him. He, did, he didn't put up with a lot of foolishness and nonsense. and He just didn't. He wasn't mean or rough, but he was the anchor in our spiritual home. My mom was all over the place, but my dad seemed to be the anchor. And he raised me right. He, he taught me about respect, opening doors. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. It came from my father. I didn't learn it in school. My father. We were at church three times or more. Every time the door opened, my father was there. I heard him pray at night. I heard him pray. I heard him pray in the bathroom early in the mornings when nobody was up. I heard him. So if you knew my father, you can say whatever you want to him about it. But I, growing up as a teenager, I heard him in the restrooms calling my name out before God. You understand me? And I think we as parents, if we spend less time griping about our kids and spend more time about bringing them before God in a private area, we'd be better off and they would be better off. We don't need Oprah or Dr. Phil. We just need a good spiritual revival in our homes. That's who my father was. So we lived in a small town around Seminole, Oklahoma. So one day he told me, he said, you're going to go with me. I've got to go to Continental Emsco, which is a tool supply, and you don't care. Seminole is about 25, 30 miles from Oklahoma City. And I was about five, best I can tell you. So I got in the car with him, and off we went to Oklahoma City. 
And he said, I'm going to stop by here. I've got to pick up some new khakis. That's what he said. And I didn't care. I was just hoping there's a free meal involved along the way. So we pull into this it was about a three or four story building in Oklahoma City. And I don't even know where we're at, but it was a Sears building, Sears Roebuck. Now, some of you younger ones have no idea, but 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 way back when the moon was that big around, you used to get Sears catalogs. Oh, yeah. oh now we got some old people here. Yeah. And they would be about that thick. And that's where you, that and Montgomery Ward, but Sears was the big deal. That's where you got everything. Forget the internet. You didn't need the internet. You had a Sears catalog. Everything from ammo to underwear. You get it right there. You just turn the page. Now, my mother would do it intentionally. She said, here, pick you out something for Christmas. She'd throw that book in front of me and it would just quiet me down for hours, you know. So we pull in the parking lot. And my dad gets out and, and as he would everywhere we went, like I do my grandkids, he'd either have his hand on my shoulder or his hand in my hand. He had big old hands on him. And that's why he that's why he operated. I didn't take a step outside that car with either his hand on my shoulder or his hand in my hand. That's where he was. So we go into this Sears store and we look around and. And I'm looking around, that, and the first thing I noticed, they got bicycles and appliances, but forget the appliances, bicycles, and had some, some kind of like uh, go-karts. And, and he said, no, this is not where we're going. I said, but, but, he goes, don't butt me, come on. So we head toward some elevators. And I was about five, and, and, and I don't think the building's very tall, but if you're from Seminole, there's really no two-story buildings that I remember, and I don't know. And so the elevator door, he mashes a button, the elevator door in a little bit opens up and, and there's a man standing in the elevator with a uniform on and he is the elevator operator. He is the man who's in charge of mashing the buttons. And, and he was a big tall man and, and I remember he, he looked at me like, don't you even think about touching that button. And that was his job. Anybody remember those guys? That was his job. Now, I will tell you, surely on a cruise ship, there is no elevator operators. You're on your own. Them kids get under there and mash every button on the ship. So my father kind of wished me in there. We went to the back. We was the only ones in there. And, and he spoke to the elevator man. And uh, my father said, I'm looking for some clothes, men's clothes. So the door shut and it wasn't but a second. The door opened. And this is what the guy said. Ladies department, ladies shoes, ladies clothes, ladies cosmetics. Of course, we're looking. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, the door's open up. Nobody gets off the elevator. The door closes. He goes to the next one. The door opens and he says, men's department. Men's clothes, men's shoes, men's accessories. And my dad said, I want to get off here. And we get off. And whatever he was going to buy, he bought. So that really doesn't mean nothing to you, but it will. A few years ago, my dad became sick. And, and he went really downhill pretty quick. I'm not for sure the medical term for it, but 
cloud began to set over his lungs and he got where he couldn't breathe at all. He really wasn't in the hospital about five or six days at the most, but the doctor said, there's really nothing we can do for him. I saw the x-rays and his lungs were just covered in milky white looking stuff. And um, so the night before he passed away, they moved him to Mercy Hospital and uh, in a palliative care. And the nurse told me, she said, it won't be long. So I called a couple people, my family, we went there and, and uh, the hospital staff was so good. And my father, they gave me some medication. This is what I asked. I said, just make him comfortable, please. Just make him comfortable. So my father was in the bed and Gayla was there. My youngest, my oldest grandson, Simon, was there. He wasn't very old. And there's only about a couple other people in the room. And my father was laying on his back, but he had his head turned to the left, which was I was standing there. But his eyes were closed and he'd been closed ever since we'd been there. But they had all the vitals and machines hooked up. And, and the, so finally the nurse just come and hooked everything. Very, very, very professional. And they knew that his time was about to expire. So my father never opened up his eyes. And so we were probably in the room, probably 30, 40 minutes and. And he never moved, laying off his back and his head turned to the left. And so I began to talk to him a little bit. I'm not going to tell you what I told him because I'll start crying. I think I told him that who's, whoever's fault you thought it was mine, it wasn't my fault, it was my sister's fault. Maybe that felt made me feel better. I don't know. But somewhere in just a few moments that he turned his head straight up and he opened up his eyes. And I think I had my eyes closed and Gayla was on the other side of the bed. And she goes, hey. And I looked at him and he had his eyes wide open. And then he had this kind of a pirate smile. And he left. No struggling. No gasping. No clenching. He opened his eyes, looked up. Grinned, he left. What did he see? He saw something. Anybody here that's worked with hospice, you understand what I've just said. He saw something. In those four or five seconds when he opened up his eyes before he left this planet, he saw something. What did he see? Well, that moment, if you will permit me, we know for a fact that not only do we have saving grace and sustaining grace and sufficient grace, but we have dying grace. We never leave this earth without our angel escorting us to God. We have an angel assigned by God for us. And some of your angels, Miller, has been working overtime a long time. Woo! Miller's angel is completely gray-headed. But my dad got it into another elevator.
and the door of this life closed. And in just a few moments, the, the angel announced, we're at the first heaven and the doors opened. First heaven. In this heaven, we have wasps and bees and we have birds and we have airplanes and we have helicopters and we got wayward golf balls that are going somewhere. I mean, in this heaven, we, we have it all that's above the earth that lives here and dwells here. And my dad never moved. The door shut. In a few moments, the door opened. And the elevator operator said, this is the second floor. Here we have the planets and the sun and the stars and the galaxies and the Milky Ways. We still have nine planets up here as far as God's concerned. We never omitted Pluto. Science says between 100 and 400 billion stars just in our Milky Way. There's galaxies, there's things here, the angel said, that the eye has never seen. The Hubbard telescope has never reached. And my dad stayed still. And the door closed. And then just in a few moments, the operator said, and the door opened, and it said, this is the third heaven. This is where God lives. In this place, there, there's angels and cherubims. There's seraphims. There's streets of gold. There's gates of pearl. There's walls of jasper. There's a crystal river running right down the middle of the city. There is a fountain that still flows the blood of his son Jesus that is a reminder of purification while we are here on earth that we will worship the Lamb of God day and night. In this place, there's no more pain and no more sorrow. No more sad goodbyes, no more sad farewells. No more empty nights, no more loneliness, no more death, because all those things have been swallowed up. But it's in this place, on this floor, is where there's peace and serenity and eternal joy forever and ever. And my dad said, I think this is where I want to get off. What do I know about dying? I do know that Jesus experienced death. I also know he experienced resurrection. And I want to assure you this morning 
is that my father not only taught me how to live for God, but he taught me how to live, leave this life with God. That when we live here and when this body finally gives up, it's not over. That's not well wishing. That is scriptural doctrine. They said that even though that I live, you can live also. Where I go, you can be with me. There's no life or death or principality. Nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ. But when I leave this earth, like my father, I don't want to just get off where the sun and stars live. I think I'll just wait till the third heaven where my father lives. That's the assurance that we have when it says that he was wounded. One day when you cross from life to death, you too will be with your mother and your father and your loved ones and your friends that have already gone before you. This great cloud of witnesses, which is a Greek word called crowd. These great crowd of witnesses that have gone before you, they await us in heaven. That's the good news this morning. And if you do not know Christ is your personal savior, then I will tell you, here's the simple words that all he said was, follow me. Just follow me. So today that's our good news. Today that's our hope in Christ. And you know what? I've said this a thousand times about this church. Come on and make yourself at home. We started a little early without you. Sorry about that. But you know, the good thing about it is I've been in this building when there's no one here. I've been in this building where it's just me and a few church mice running around. But when you start filing in here and your laughter and your friendship and your hugs and your smiles, it really makes this building becomes a house of God. Heaven would not be the same without you. And I want to see you there. And I want to see my father there. Darren, you want to see your mother there. Scott, you want to see your parents there. Louise, I bet old Everett is tapping his foot waiting on you. The Apostle Paul said, when I close my eyes and say goodnight to this world, I open my eyes in glory. So shall we. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. You believe that? It is the gospel. Stay with me. Give the Lord a praise offering this morning. Huh? God is good today. I tell this story about Robin because the kids are here. Oh, I used to give her a hard time about California. I said, you'll never get me to California. I am not going, not going, not going, not going. Well, she has a brain aneurysm out there. So we have to go out there, have to fly out there, really. And the first day we're out there, they have a 6.7 earthquake, 30 miles from where we're at. I mean, the furniture is moving. It's, it's, and, and I kind of go back where she's at and they kind of got her sedated. And, and she, she's laughing under breath. She said, 
I told you I'd get you out here. <laughs> Father, for everyone that has gone before us, our grandparents, our folks, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, friends and family members, those that, that laid the pavers for us that we may live a life that's pleasing to you. For those people that has gone before us, they're not gone, they're just waiting. They, they took an elevator to the third heaven where there's peace and joy and life, eternal comfort, all tears had been wiped away from their eyes. That's where I want to go. That's the floor I want to get off on. It's a place where King Jesus is the light of that city. There's no need for the sun, the Bible says, because he is the light. There's eternal joy. There's worship. There's peace and tranquility and harmony, not only for the body, for the mind and the soul, because my Father lives there. And from the foundation of the earth that God set in motion, he predestinated us for us to spend eternity with him. And Father, thank you for that. That every day that I live here on this earth is, is nothing more than a signpost to remind me that heaven has never been any closer. So ladies and gentlemen, this morning, death is no big deal. If you're in relationship with our Father and His Son Jesus, all death is is just an elevator to take you to where you were born to go. Remember what he said. I'm going to leave you peace and not in pieces. So take courage this morning. In Jesus' name. And all the people of God said, amen. amen. If you're visiting here this morning, we celebrate Holy Communion every week. We've been commanded to. We don't have a choice. It's a reminder of the body and the blood of Christ. It's the very last thing he told us to do. He said it in the vineyard, John 15. He tells us this. And every time we take the cup and the bread, as often as we meet, we take it. It reminds us of Jesus. So this morning, if our service will come, you, we're not asking you to fill out a spiritual report card here. We're not asking you for your church denomination. I'm here to tell you this morning that if you need something in this life, Holy Communion seems to be the place and the sacraments that we come closer to Christ. It reminds us of Him. So that night He sat down with His disciples and He took the, the bread and He broke it. And he said, for 1,500 years, the Jews have been celebrating the Passover with unleavened bread. 
John 6 says that your fathers did eat of the bread that fell from heaven, but they did eat, but they hungered again. But he said, whosoever shall eat of me will never hunger anymore. I am the bread. And they took the bread. And then he took the cup and he lifted it up and he said, for 1500 years in the Passover, they've been celebrating the lamb's blood. The lamb's blood was taken. It was placed upon the doorpost in the shape of a cross. That when the death angel to the Abaddon would come, they would pass over that household. Jesus said, I am now the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my father will now take my blood and he will place it in the shape of a cross. That if any man would believe in me, he would have everlasting life. So this morning, if you've been born again, wonderful. But the bread and cup is just a constant reminder of what Christ has done for us. And this morning, if you've never made a personal commitment to Christ, wonderful, come on. The blood of Jesus can still wash away all your sins. Father, bless this cup and bless this bread. Thank you for reminding us that there is a better place that awaits us because he was bruised. We are waiting to get off on the third floor, Father, where you are. But until then, we'll continue to declare the good things of Christ in Jesus' name. Amen.